0: Let's talk about Digital Identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolalla. Hello, and today in this episode, we're going to talk about the identity and also identity access management, what is happening in the UK government and also in the public sector of this part of the world. So for that, we have a very special guest, Richard Slater started writing code on a secondhand ZX Spectrum before he was 10. Today, Richard works as a head of managed services at Amido, a London based startup working on identity and microservices projects for some of the largest companies in the UK. He lives and breathes DevOps, which means he's a vocal proponent of best practices for our software development teams, focusing on continuous deployment, systems thinking, Reducing feedback cycles, configuration management, infrastructure as a code, and of course, cybersecurity. Hello, Richard.
1: Hello, Oscar. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: It's a pleasure having you, uh, Richard. And well, let's start talking about, let's talk about digital identity. So first of all, I'd like to hear a bit, a bit more about yourself. If you can tell us about yourself and especially your journey to this world of identity.
1: Sure, yeah. So over the course of the last, I don't know, 20-odd years uh, in the IT industry, I've kind of written my fair share of login pages. At one point in time, I was a .NET developer. Before that, I was a uh, systems administrator. So that kind of gave me interaction with enterprise IDAM solutions like um, Active Directory. But then also as a developer, you know, consumer IDAM from the point of view of, you know, login pages are required for the vast majority of applications that I've ever written in my time. And then about 10 years ago, I joined Amido and uh, had the opportunity to deliver, over that time, about half a dozen identity platforms for for kind of big and small companies, both public and private sector. And then I started to move my career over time much more towards the cybersecurity side. I really enjoy the kind of IDAM side of it. And that kind of led me into cybersecurity. However, I then Really realize that cybersecurity was the thing that kind of got left behind in DevOps, and actually, that's the area where the the innovation needs to happen to really kind of change the world, change the way that we approach IT, including IDAM, including you know cybersecurity in general, and kind of shift left on that thinking. And IDAM is a huge part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, as I read from the your bio, I found on Stack Overflow. Yeah, he said. You live and breathe DevOps. And of course, uh, yeah, security, cybersecurity is something that it's super important there. So thank you for sharing your interesting story. We'd like to hear you and Amito who are working very tightly in the UK, of course. I'd like to hear what was the latest developments in the UK government's identity strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think we're probably at a point now where... Uh, I think most people have realised that GovUK Verify is starting to kind of wane a bit. It's starting to sunset. Mm-hmm. That so it's, it's starting to become old news. And in its place, there are various kind of proposals kind of floating around. However, predominantly what we've seen is is our DCMS uh, Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport really been pushing this idea of a trust framework, and we've, they've had a couple of public consultations on it so far. Just a really interesting approach, it's a really kind of innovative way of looking at identity from a government perspective in a way that enables privacy but also creates that rich ecosystem of identity solutions and it's been adopted elsewhere and it's it's still in its infancy i know in canada it's a little bit ahead the uk and there's a couple of other commonwealth countries like australia and new zealand who have been trying to approach government identity in a way that is less tied to being, you know, a single identity for a department and then having a different identity entirely for a different department, actually creating an ecosystem. And the real key to these these trust frameworks being decentralized is that it, it comes in two kind of flavors, as it were. You have the identity providers so the people that say you are who you say you are and those identity providers could fundamentally be anyone so it could be the NHS that say you are this person, you have this this NHS number which represents who you are, we've done the identity verification for you and thus you can use an NHS identity to be able to access other non nhs services equally it could be the home office that say that you know you're a you're a naturalized resident or that you're a, a british citizen it could be even as far as you know if you've got somebody coming in from temporarily into the uk it may be that it's the foreign office that's able to provide them an identity that demonstrates the fact that they are that person but the other side of the the equation really comes down to what are called attributes and those attributes allow uh, individual government departments and potentially private sector as well to be able to kind of enrich that identity and do it in such a way that it can mask the kind of personal data that can sometimes be encoded in identity so it's a really good example of that one if for example you were to go into a bar or a pub At the moment, you have to show somebody some form of photo ID. So it might be a passport, it might be a driving license. And obviously on that, it's got your passport number, your driving license number, your your date of birth, potentially your address on it as well. So you're sharing a lot more data than you really need to share. All they need to know is your date of birth. And even then, they don't really need to know your date of birth. What they need to know is, are you legally entitled to buy alcohol in the UK? And for us, that means it's it's, it's at 18. And really, you know, what you're able to do with attribute, attribute providers is create a digital identity that is able to be enriched so you can present that digital identity. It might be through an app. It might even be through an actual, you know, physical ID card with a chip on it that will then allow the establishment to go, is this person allowed to buy alcohol? Are they over 18 and ask those questions. Now the, the really interesting thing is is what the government's doing here is they're not trying to tell industry how to implement this, they're trying to create a framework for trust which is why they call it a trust framework. What they want is they want to go here is the standard, here is the approach, this is how we secure it, This is broadly semantically how it's going to work. Now, industry bring products to market that enable us to turn this from something that is essentially a white paper into a product that enables government identity in a distributed manner. I think it's a really exciting time because it it helps to balance the the privacy aspects of identity with the the need to actually not have multiple identities i mean i have probably 30 different government based identity accounts just because i'm a british citizen i've got accounts with with the nhs i've got accounts with the passport office i've got accounts with the, driver, the dvla they're all completely separate from each other but what this trust framework promises and and really, I hope it's something that can be brought to bear is actually building out that system that means I only really need to have one true identity and all the other attributes are able to be added by the relevant parties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. a trust framework would um, would solve this this problem. as you said it's dozens of uh, identities you have uh, from the from some public service institutions in the UK. So you say that there's one organization that is already leading in creation on that trust framework in the UK.
1: Yeah, so so DCMS is being kind of charged with actually bringing this to bear. They have overall responsibility for both digital policy and cybersecurity policy in the UK. They're the organization that sets policy for the Information Commissioner's Office. So that's kind of backing off into GDPR and other privacy laws. So really these, these are the people, this is the government department that is fundamentally there to drive forward the digital agenda in the UK. And their role is really to help define what that's gonna look like and then allow other government departments to start working with industry partners to be able to deliver an identity platform that meets this specification.
0: Okay, so we we expect to see in the near future uh, results on a, a more unified, uh, yeah, identity verification service in the UK. But some something that every single public sector organization they also have to deal with IAM in their way based on their own needs. So if you can tell us about in general public sector organization how they should be approaching IAM from this year, 2020.
1: Yeah, definitely. So yeah, as you're right, it's great to talk about what's in the future, but we are a good few years off having anything even in kind of an alpha or a beta stage that was going to be using the trust framework. IAM's is not going to go away. It is something that is fundamentally necessary to be able to deliver a product and deliver it securely. So you're right, companies need to be looking at this, companies and departments need to be looking at this in 2022. Amida are a cloud-native consultancy, you know, I kind of want to call that out one, so maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but the answer for me is really is, it's got to be on cloud. We, we've actually had a number of clients recently, I I can't, I can't mention them unfortunately, who have come to us and asked us after we've built their cloud platform, you know, in an on-prem world to help them move it into the cloud, Cloud First has been a, a, on the Cabinet Office agenda for the last five years. It's something GDS has been pushing really heavily in the UK. And actually, you know, you get so many benefits from cloud, it's proven now. There is so many IDAM solutions that have been delivered using IaaS, using PaaS components, that actually we're starting to see government departments adopting cloud more and more as their predominant mechanism for delivering a service. And so it's, it's not gonna go away anytime soon. And, you know, as I say, those benefits, if you've got VMs in Azure or AWS, where you've got commercial off-the-shelf software, or we're using SaaS components, it's a whole lot less work for departments. And in these times of, you know, post-coronavirus and recovery, departments' budgets are going to be squeezed and you're going to have less money to be able to spend on IAM. And that's really where, you know, adopting the cloud, adopting those best-of-breed services, you can outsource a lot of the... Ongoing operational costs to the cloud providers and focus on delivering that IDAM solution that is specific to your needs. And, you know, government, public sector, like no other sector, has got some very specific needs for IAM. I, we've got one of our clients have to contend with building into the IAM solution a mechanism for identifying conflict and resolution. And like ensuring that segregation of duties is both implemented at the technical level, but also ensuring that there is no conflict of interest between two element, two IAM users in this in this particular solution. So it can be horrifically complicated. But it's something that actually products are out there on the market able to support those kind of rules those kind of mechanisms to protect the privacy of individuals to ensure that you know regulatory requirements are being met departments need to be focusing on the the solutions that are actually going to serve citizens and by using cloud you're just removing all of that kind of underlying like let's look after the vms let's look after the hardware and the data centers just focus on the actual applications themselves. And all of the vendors I talk to, we we work with vendors across the industry to deliver IDAM for our government clients and private sector clients. Everyone has now got some kind of cloud offering. Uh, There is absolutely no reason in 2022 to be looking at on-prem environments for hosting IAM. You lose all of the flexibility, you lose all the maintainability aspects of it use the vendor's cloud native offerings to be able to deliver IAM and focus on your kind of unique selling point, the thing that actually delivers value to citizens. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see that now at the beginning of 2022, this public administration organization are already asking for that, explicitly asking for cloud.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So given, given that IAM is, is core to an organization's cybersecurity strategy, mm-hmm how can the public sector ensure that the IAM implementations are successful?
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. So as an organization, we we've we counted it up a couple of days ago, and we have delivered 37 IAM platforms over the last five years. And I think really there are two things that we've seen most common that are mistakes that have been made during an IAM implementation. And uh, the first one is a bit of a, a weird one, a bit of a curveball. A couple of organizations we work with have left I am till last. They've almost forgotten about I am oh, okay. or considered it as not part of a greater whole. You know, I am, you know, it's a login page. I am is so much more than a login page. It may be that's the first thing that people see, but IAM is actually a much wider solution that enables you to implement your cybersecurity controls, that enables you to to grant access, grant privilege, et cetera, in the relevant parts of of your service. And I think this is a bit of a symptom, really, of a disconnect between security, compliance, and technology. Security is often not involved early enough. And I, I don't necessarily mean a security department. I mean the concept of security and in reality all of those elements are important security compliance and technology each of the standards you know talk about I say 27001 or cyber essentials each of those talk about vital requirements for authentication authorization and security is increasingly needing to adopt that shift left mentality that's required to be able to ensure that infosec is really involved from the beginning i have this bit of a saying is that what i want from my information security teams what i want when i'm having a cyber security is how do we get to saying yes because all too often particularly when security is involved later in the project the answer ends up being no like no you can't go live until you've done this this and this what i want to be in a position is at the beginning of a project having security involved and going, what do you need? What do you need from this solution? Like, what are your fundamental non-functional requirements that mean that you're gonna be able to say yes? What tasks do we need to do? What kind of level of pen testing do we need against this solution? So that when the business wants this to be live, the answer is going to be yes, of course, we've been involved all the way through, we're absolutely happy with this and we have utter utmost conf- confidence in it. And I think what often happens is that organisations, both public and private sector, get caught out that thinking "I am" is something somebody else does. It's never something somebody else does. Even if there is a pre-existing IAM solution in place for a government department or for, for the private sector, then half of the effort is going to be involved in actually integrating that into the application or service that you're building. I like, am is not something that is a purely a case of redirect out somewhere and get back a failed or or success message. It involves jot tokens, it involves claims, it involves actually understanding how that IAM solution works across firewall boundaries, how that IAM solution works in terms of gaining access to privileged information. In terms of administrator access, how is that working? What happens when somebody is trying to log into your application? And the error message isn't, you know, in- instructive enough to say this is a problem with the login versus a problem with the application. There's a lot to think about with IAM, so so don't don't get caught out. Do not think that that IAM is something that somebody else will be able to do for you. Embrace it, like build it into your thought process from day one before you even start designing anything. Thinking about IAM and actually building that into the kind of wider picture is absolutely key to ensuring that implementation is successful. And then the, it's related in many ways. The second mistake I, I really see is IAM is not really being embedded in the organization. We see a lot of, of organizations that try to implement IAM as a team. So we have an IAM team, and they are responsible for IAM for the organization. Fundamentally, every application developer, every product owner, every business analyst in an organization needs to understand the basics of identity, the basics of the you know, OpenID Connect protocol, the OAuth2 protocol, because those influence how applications are designed and built. I would actually say it's 30% of the time for an IAM team should be dedicated to education and knowledge transfer to people who are outside of that IM team and the rest of the organization because actually it's those are the people that need to integrate those are the people that actually are going to be the relying parties those are the the actual applications that I am is there to kind of serve and protect and there's a couple of ways of handling this I, I really like the train the trainer programs when I'm working with client teams I'm trying to make sure there's a person in each of those service delivery teams who is the IAM champion they are the person that has kind of put the time in. They're talking with the, the, the actual IAM delivery team. They're understanding how it works, what they need to do, and they're championing that within the project. Every time the sprint goes around, they're putting their hand up and going, okay, well, how is this integrating with IAM? How are we handling the fact that something in the, the IAM platform is changing? How are we handling the changes in the, in the wider ecosystem? You know, we've got additional claims available to us now how are we managing that? And actually having that training the trainer program or that, that kind of subject matter expert embedded in the team is really important. But then also, you know, it's increasingly important to just have really good training materials. Like I record a lot of videos, half of the reason I've got a, you know, a decent microphone and camera is I record videos, I'll stand there in front of the camera and I will talk about IAM for our clients so that they have material that they can put into their Confluence or their SharePoint or their uh, LMS to be able to educate people on how to interact with IAM as a application developer.
0: Yeah, that's I think it's very powerful uh, what you just said about training, the trainer-trainer or just the fact of Making sure there is a champion in the organization, in the customer, well, we'll keep, yeah, training and educating about IAM in across several functions. So that's definitely, definitely great, great idea. And and I see, I can imagine you are doing this constantly for a while already. And your first point was that organization leave leave am to the last. So yeah, it's. Um,
1: Yeah, never leave IAM to last. We have had a couple of opportunities where we have gone into a client to talk about IAM, only to discover that actually it was forgotten about. It was not included in the project plan. And actually the work has already started on application services. And really just getting to a point where realizing that there needs to be a lot of thought to go into IAM right at the beginning, do not leave it to last. It's, it's so important to actually think about IAM from day zero and build it out as part of your wider technical strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, as you said, identity and identity management systems are touching very different uh, also roles in the organizations. What about one that the users will will feel directly is the user user interface, user experience? So what about the user experience in government identity systems, how is the sector's approach to UX? How is it changing? What is the direction it's, it's heading now?
1: Yeah, so this this is a really interesting one. Uh, there's a GIF floating around that, that we have in our company Slack, which is essentially it's a cat going through a, a gap in a door. And successively over time, the, this gap gets smaller and smaller. And the labelling around it is uh, around security controls. And the very last section of of the GIF, it says ISO twenty seven thousand and one, where the gap is maybe about three centimeters wide, and the cat just jumps over the door, just goes straight over it. And that's a fundamental problem. If you make things so hard to use, people will find their way around it. People are intelligent. People are innovative. If you make it difficult it's going to be the last thing somebody is going to want to do and that really I think is something that has been influencing IAM over the course of the last five years and what we're seeing is it moving from being a fairly cumbersome kind of login system as it, it might have been termed into a heavily researched well understood ecosystem of user design principles that enables IAM to really kind of get out the way. I mean, for the most part, IAM is going to be something to an end user that should be transparent. In an ideal world, then you would be able to use authentication mechanisms that don't require people to remember usernames and passwords. We're not quite there yet. I, I think we will get to a point where actually that kind of transparent sign-in model is going to be secure and it's going to be uh, friendly to end users. But in the meantime, I mean, what most departments are focusing on is the research. Use UX professionals to research into how people use the IAM solution, how people interact with it, not just from the point of login and registration, but also from the point of how do I make this more secure? How can I implement multi-factor authentication or passwordless login? Or how do I reset a password in a secure and efficient way? Sending, you know, pin codes out in the post, whilst incredibly secure and gives a, you know, a high level of assurance that that address is still matches that person, and and so there's a there's a good degree of confidence. It's a very slow process, and it's not helpful if you're trying to get something done quickly. So actually building those flows based upon research, based upon evidence that this is the majority of the citizens, the population are able to use it. This is particularly important for government departments because unlike private sector rather, where you can say, I have a demographic, you know, one of our clients is ASOS. And so they have a very clear demographic graphic. It tends to be young. So you can make the assumption there that all of them will have a smartphone and probably a fairly good smartphone. All of them will be very kind of used to using touchscreens and used to using the Internet. When you're dealing with a government department, you can't make any of those assumptions because the vast majority of departments have to deal with a citizen from either birth or, or, you know, entering into adulthood all the way through to later life. So you can't make the assumption that, you know, I can just test it with a small group of people who are in my demographic. You have to understand it from all aspects. And equally, the vast majority of the particular governments in the UK need to deal with multiple cultures. You know, London is, is such a cosmopolitan place. But most of the UK is. You look at Manchester, you look at Birmingham, there are people with English not as their first language. You have got people coming in from very different cultures, either from abroad or just from community cultures within the UK. So you can't make the assumption that you know a small group of people is actually going to be representative of your actual end users. So really kind of doing the research and thoroughly kind of getting into a representative example of all of the people that are going to be using your service the alphas in front of them the code base in front of them or even you know we're we're a huge fan of coffee shop testing so literally just drawn mock-ups really of a service and actually go to people and go into a coffee shop and go can I buy you a coffee and show you how I think this is 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 going to work and I'd really like to get your feedback on you know how easy this might be to use what you'd like to see done instead you know what what you know what do you not like about this what do you like about this it's really important to really get into the heads of citizens to understand like what they actually need from an IAM solution and the, and the wider solution but particularly from that, how do we get IAM out the way and it's something that that I say with my my infosec teams is Fundamentally, we need to be making the right thing to do the easiest thing to do. So it's the absolute antithesis of that cat jumping over the, the 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 door. It's trying to make it so actually going through the door, following the rules, following the controls, implementing the controls is by far and above easiest thing to do rather than having to try and kind of circumvent it.
0: <laughs> yeah, very, very good uh... You say in a, in a visual way visual language way with a cat in the door <laughs> but yeah excellent the, the key is as you said is to to do serious research to have success in UX in user experience yeah so it's very very enlightening everything you've been sharing about I am I can see you also you also Brit not only devops you breed say I am so <laughs> I can I can feel it a final question. For you, would be for all business leaders who are listening to us right now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today?
1: Yeah, this for me has got to come down to shift left thinking. So I, I've talked a little bit about shift left in cybersecurity, but it applies to absolutely everything. So user experience research, cybersecurity, compliance. If these are not things that are being thought about, at a project level or at a, a product level from day zero then they can be shifted left. The, the sooner we kind of embrace the fact that we're part of an ecosystem whereby lots of people are going to get involved in a project and involve those people from day zero onwards the more effective those products are going to be and the, and the lower risk there is going to be in delivering those, those projects and products. So really for me it's that if cybersecurity or user experience or compliance is not involved in day one, what one thing can you do this year to move that to the left, to get it in as close to day zero as possible?
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, Richard, for sharing all these super interesting things about uh, not only UK, but actually also in, in, in not only UK, not only in public sector, but many of the things you have also shared with us are valuable for any any project that requires Identity Access Management. My pleasure. Please tell us how people can um, learn more about you, get in touch with you, what are the best ways?
1: Yes, so I am on the vast majority of social networks. So you feel free to reach out to me. I am DevOps Richard on LinkedIn and uh, Richard Slater on Twitter. Uh, So please do feel free to reach out. I I live and breathe this stuff. I'm always happy to have a chat about it and I enjoy spending my evenings uh, talking to you guys out there.
0: Fantastic. Again, thanks a lot, Richard, and all the
1: best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's
0: Talk About Digital Identity, produced by Ubisecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at Ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time.